Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken, disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. In today's episode of Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference, I'll be exploring the effects of food on physiology. You've probably heard the concept of food as medicine, but when I really started to think about it, I realized that using food as medicine is really much later in the process of how food can affect function. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. I think of medicine as something given to sick people in order to help them to get well. While food can certainly work as medicine, usually a lot better than pharmaceuticals, I'd rather we start to think about food as messages to the body, helping to turn on and off genes, to restore or destroy balance, depending on whether it's the right food or the wrong food, and supply the raw materials that the body needs for making energy, for making hormones, and making neurotransmitters. There's an ancient Ayurvedic saying that I often quote, When the diet is correct, medicine is of no need. When the diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. This rings very true to me and all the patients, clients, and students I've worked with over the last three decades. So in this series, I'll be exploring the various aspects of how food affects function in both good and bad ways. Be sure to download the functional food guide I created for you at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. In working with patients and clients, I consider a hierarchy of interventions to support people in restoring and maintaining their health. And food is at the basis. Food is foundational. My goal for this podcast series is to empower you to educate your clients about using food to improve their bodily functions and avoiding those that hurt. When it comes to health challenges, the enemy and the savior are often one and the same depending on what's put at the end of the fork. So let's dig in. As you know, food is composed of nutrients, macro and micro. Macro being protein, carbohydrate, fat, and water. And micro being those vitamins and minerals that we need to survive. Plant foods also provide phytochemicals that support many bodily functions. And there's a lot more in food that we haven't yet identified. 
In Chinese medicine, we talk about the energetics of food and the importance of aligning the energy of the food to the energy of the person, which varies from day to day, season to season, and even mood to mood. When we consider foods, we often look at just those that are eaten in large amounts, those that make the bulk of our meals. But equally important to consider are those that make up a small yet powerful part of our meals, the herbs and spices. While we look at foods usually as a source of nutrition, with herbs, there are a variety of actions we need to consider. Our herbs are usually classified by how they're used and how the dosage that's safe and effective is determined. There are herbs that are classified as nutritive, and these can be consumed in large amounts and contain significant quantities of vitamins and minerals. Examples of those in this category are hibiscus, which is loaded with a whole bunch of micronutrients, and basil and nettle, all of which contain a lot of micronutrients. I have some charts that I'll share with you. Some are classified as therapeutic and are consumed in smaller amounts, depending on the goal and the patient's health status. Still others are considered toxic. And while sometimes they're used by qualified herbalists in tiny amounts to facilitate a particular physiologic change, they're not suggested for regular consumption or by the average person who doesn't know the ins and the outs of using it. Then we have the fungi family, the mushrooms. These too can be therapeutic, nutritive, or toxic. So whenever I'm planning a meal or a specific dish within the meal, whether it's for myself or my family or my patients, I think a lot about the specific constituents and I aim to balance nutrients along with taste. Because face it, right? Most people won't eat foods that don't taste good. Most people don't think twice about eating foods that taste good but aren't good for them though. So our job as wellness practitioners is to help them to shift around what they're eating so that it supports good function. The processed food industry is highly profitable and is the source of so many of the health challenges we are encountering. Processed and adulterated foods are technically poisonous to humans and to our furry friends, our pets as well. Unlike salmonella or arsenic, the effects of eating processed and adulterated foods is not usually felt immediately. Eventually, though, the damage catches up with consumers and can be felt everywhere, in the heart, the muscles, the bladder, the brain, the hormones. Dr. Robert Ludstig, an author of the book Metabolical, is a pediatric endocrinologist, and he describes processed food as consumable poison laced with additives that toy with your brain's reward center, leading to addiction and the need for ever more of it. Kind of like the pusher in the schoolyard who offers your first choke for free, then he's got you. And the bigger and the more chronic the dose, the quicker you die. This is so true of the foods or what I like to call the non-foods that most folks are eating on a regular basis. 
And then they're coming to see us to try to help them restore balance, restore digestive function, give them more energy, help with pain and inflammation, get their hormones balanced, and so much more. Dr. Lustig goes on to ask, what if the USDA and the FDA are aware that this slow consumable poison is sold in grocery stores nationwide and they still, they allow it to be promoted heavily? This is such an important point. We're selling people poison, but we're not telling them it's poison. Food writer Mark Bittman has said that since food is defined as a substance that provides nutrition and promotes growth, and poison is a substance that promotes illness, then much of what's produced by our food industry is quite literally not food, but poison. In my worldview, to be considered a functional food, the substance consumed needs to provide nutrition, promote growth, and have a favorable effect on bodily function. Plus, it needs to, in the words of Hippocrates, first do no harm. As I put together uh, functional food recipes, I think in terms of nutrient balance for the person in question, and keep in mind specific sensitivities and metabolic imbalances the person may be dealing with. There's so much food phobia these days. The internet summits, podcasts, and blogs, while being a great source of education for people, can also be a source of confusion as well. I talk to so many people who have become food phobic. Before we go any further, I need to state my opinion based on decades of research and clinical work with real people. There's no such thing as the perfect diet. There's no such thing as a diet that works for everyone. As you work with people, you need a starting point of real food, of course, but beyond that, there are nuances for individual people that have developed as a result of their genetics, their early exposures, their microbiome balances, their digestive capacity, their liver detox pathways, and a lot more. While many people benefit greatly and see a reversal of symptoms when we recommend a real food diet, where we support them in removing the processed non-food that's the basis of most diets and add in whole unprocessed food and teach them how to transition. There are a lot of people who need to take it further. Some people thrive on diets lower in fat as long as they get sufficient quantities of essential fatty acids in the right balance. Some thrive on higher fat diets as long as their gallbladder and liver are healthy and the fat is unprocessed and balanced. There are so many other nuances. There are so many diet wars going on these days that the internet allows them to be public, much to the public's confusion. As a practitioner, you need to be the voice of reason with the people who seek your help. You need to keep their specifics in mind as you help them design a healing diet. And I have found that it's important to test, don't guess, when it comes to food. Teach your clients how to monitor the effect that food has on their physiology. You can do that with journals and symptom diaries. I've had all too many people tell me that they were drinking a quart of green smoothie every day because they heard it was good for them, even though it caused bodily discomfort of all sorts after they did it or while they were doing it. Clearly, based on their symptoms, this was not a good food for them. 
There are many ways for you to monitor how a food is affecting function. First of all, there's symptoms. When I eat this food, I get this symptom. I feel more tired, etc. Then there's home testing. You can help them to test their blood sugar before and after meals. You can have them test their ketones and look at blood pressure and pulse. There's also their functions. How well are they sleeping? How stressed are they? How's their digestion working? And finally, there's a variety of functional lab tests that you can do to see how their food is affecting them. If we go back to the green smoothie creating problems example, I'd be thinking of several areas to explore to try to help this person to determine why this was happening. First, I'd look at what types of greens are they eating? Maybe they do have an oxalate sensitivity or a sulfate sensitivity, and they can switch around the type of greens they're doing in their green smoothies and be able to tolerate them. Maybe it's the specific combination of ingredients. Maybe they have too many ingredients and it's causing digestive upset. Maybe they're mixing fruit into that smoothie and that fruit is causing a blood sugar imbalance. Or maybe they're mixing fruit and fat, which don't digest well together. Or maybe they have some digestive issues. They don't make enough enzymes. There's some inflammation. So these are all things that we can explore when we're trying to figure out the best functional food for a specific person. So in the next episodes, we'll be exploring several aspects of functional food facts. We're going to look at specific foods and their effects on specific bodily functions. We're going to look at the concept of food fraud, the lies being told and the myths being propagated in an industry that cares more about profit than health. We'll look at specific food dogma, i.e. don't eat oxalates and everybody should avoid lectins and everybody needs to be gluten-free or whatever. And then we're going to look at some ways to evaluate if there's specific food constituents that a particular person may need to avoid, at least temporarily. There's a handy chart for you when you download my functional food guide at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. And then we're going to look at how to use functional food principles in your practice in working with people. But for now, I'll leave you with this. Our job as functional health practitioners is to match the food with the person and help them achieve a state of balance where food is used to optimize function and the need for medicine is eliminated. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Reinvent Healthcare. As a practitioner who's passionate about making a difference, I invite you to take some actions to support your clients in their relationship with food and to be a shining star in their life because you empower them to get great results using the power of functional food. So start with the basics of real food, support them in replacing processed food, then evaluate them for intolerance monitor how they function in relationship to the food they're eating, and support them in making tweaks. Keep in mind that while it may start with just eat real food, as Sean Croxton likes to say, for many, it's a matter of customizing the food to support their specific function. Remember to download the functional food guide at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. 
Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well, rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.